Welcome to the Luke Nasia Show. On October 9th, we're going to start a special legislative session. And not only will school choice be on the docket, but Governor Abbott's also adding something regarding Colony Ridge. So we're going to get to address an aspect of illegal immigration policy that Texas can actually address. The Republican Party of Texas, by the way, has called on Speaker Dade Phelan to resign, joining a long list of people that are doing so. Also, Nate Schatzline left the Freedom Caucus. And last but not least, Taylor Swift has a new boyfriend. Now, sadly, you're not going to learn anything new about that one, but all the rest on that list we are going to address today. Let's get to the show. On October 9th, the Texas House and Senate will come back to Austin. They're being called back by Governor Abbott to address one of the policies, one of the many conservative policies that the Texas House killed last session. And this is just the reality that when you have a lower chamber that has this uniparty coalition of Democrats and some Republicans, it makes it much harder to pass conservative policies that are antithetical to the desired results of the teacher unions. Teacher unions in Texas have a monopolistic hold on the vast majority of our children. And they like it. They want to keep it that way. Regardless of who you are as a parent, what you believe, they actually want to be empowered. They want to be empowered to keep your children and they want to take the power away from you as a parent to say, hey, this is a problem. Maybe I want to go see something else. There was a study that just came out over the weekend that I was reading about how one in 10 children will receive, will encounter some type of sexual impropriety from a teacher if they're in a K through 12 public school. One in 10 kids, right? So let's say you're a parent who either has one of those 10 children or you're a parent whose kid is way below grade level in reading and math or other things like that. You might want to go somewhere else. Well, the current system says uh, pay your property tax bill, fund your local public school, and oh, by the way, if you want to go somewhere else, you pay for that too. So all this is going to say, like many other red states have said, that there should be an education savings account where the parent has the power to choose where to send their kid to school. And that some private schools and alternatives could say, hey, we are willing to accept children through an education savings account program. And that money, six, $7,000, could go towards discounting the tuition or paying the tuition in full for that child. The Texas Senate passed a bill that applied to nearly 5 million students, okay? So that's most students in the public school system today one of the groups that it didn't apply to, that it really needs to apply to, is, is sitting, is existing children in private school. There are parents who are Uber driving in the evening to pay the private school tuition for their child, okay? And sadly, even in the Senate plan, they, are, they wouldn't even be able to apply for this. You could have a multimillionaire in a public school system that gets it, but not that parent. So that's one issue that needs to be addressed, but I will tell you this. The Texas Senate passed a great bill that still applies to the vast majority of students in Texas. And the Texas House took that bill that needs to be even bigger, and they said, hey, let's whittle it down to like 250, 300,000 students. And that little program didn't even have the votes it needed to pass the Texas House of Representatives. Even being whittled down to basically nothing but special needs students, a couple little area, you know, just a handful of people uh, within failing schools and inner cities. Other than that, parents don't need to be empowered. If you live in a Republican district, a rural district, a suburban district, you don't need the power. You, you as a parent, you're fine. Just send your kid to the monopolistic system. That is the attitude of the Texas House of Representatives, and it's something we're going to have to push back 
against during the month of October. If you're wondering how a special session works, I want to break it down for you real quick. Understand this, the legislature does not convene on October 9th and then immediately begin as an entire group of people discussing this robust policy. A handful of people with leadership will get together and decide what this looks like. And Dade Phelan made a separate committee from the Public Education Committee to deal with school choice this special session because he didn't want to have to deal with Matt Schaefer and Brian Harrison who are two of the more conservative members of the Public Education Committee, the most conservative members of the Public Education Committee. It's kind of like Kevin McCarthy, who cut the deal on the federal side. He's like, I'm tired of dealing with the conservatives, the Freedom Caucus, so I'm just gonna go cut a deal with Democrats. The same thing was done. Dave Phelan's like, okay, there are two conservative members on the Public Education Committee. I need to get rid of them. I'm gonna create another special education committee that's gonna deal with school choice so that Harrison and Schaefer don't actually get an input in this process. I'm going to stick Matt Shaheen and Keith Bell on that committee. And Matt Shaheen then goes out on public television and says, hey, really, the only people that need empowerment are like the parents in the inner cities and some special needs kids. So you see how it works? Like it's all in coordinated fashion. I'm taking these people. Oh, by the way, Matt Shaheen, not part of the Freedom Caucus. And so Shaheen's over there doing his own thing. Perfect right? But you never saw the Freedom Caucus once even complain that two of their members that were placed on the Public Education Committee had been gutted, that their power had been gutted. And that's kind of par for the course here. It's funny, when, when the Freedom Caucus gets prominent committee positions, they'll brag about it. They'll say, hey, we've got members on this committee and members on this committee. That's awesome. That shows that we as a caucus are impactful in policy. And even when their own speaker says, I'm going to gut that in order to make sure that you don't have a voice, they're like, don't say anything, right? And maybe that's one of just a ton of factors that led to the other news that broke this morning. And when you listen to this, it'll likely be yesterday. But Monday morning, Nate Schatzlein, who is one of the conservative champions across the state of Texas, who's fighting for conservative principles in the legislature, came out and announced that he's leaving the Freedom Caucus. And this is a couple weeks after Steve Toth also came out and said he was leaving the Freedom Caucus. You're seeing the most conservative members leave the Freedom Caucus. And, and, and honestly, it just comes at a time when all of us are looking at the Freedom Caucus, seeing a group that largely just kowtows to Dade Phelan. I mentioned this at the start of the show, but guys, Donald Trump called on Dade Phelan to resign. The Republican Party of Texas called on Dade Phelan to resign. Every SREC member except for two voted for Dade Phelan to resign. Dan Patrick said he's not even worthy of the position he holds. He has members in his own Republican caucus who have called on him to resign. Tony Tinderholt, Steve Toth, Nate Schatzline, Brian Harrison. I guess Nate hasn't, but Harrison has, Toth has, Tinderholt has, Schatzline's now leaving the Freedom Caucus. You're seeing these conservative members continue to basically create this independence from leadership. The list of people calling on Dade to resign is getting long. Ken Paxson already did it back in May. So while that's happening, the Freedom Caucus is nowhere to be found. Nowhere to be found. Their own members are getting gutted from having input on school choice. Crickets. 
it's time to change the culture in the Texas House. And I've argued this. If you've come to any of my speaking engagements across the state of Texas, I keep saying the Republican Party, the state of Texas as a whole, is moving to the right. Our party's moving to the right. We've got the most conservative SREC I've ever seen, the best state chair we've had in modern recent history, and that's not uh, to offend any of our other state chairs. We've had several very good state chairs, but I think Matt Rinaldi is absolutely the best, hands down. The Republican voters are moving to the right. Individual groups underneath conservative organizations are moving to the right. The Texas Senate is more conservative than it ever has been. Even the Texas House of Representatives, the Republican caucus there, is moving to the right. And that's one reason why Dade Phelan forced this impeachment of Ken Paxton through. Because the last vestige of like total establishment uniparty consensus power is in the Texas House, in the state of Texas. That's the last place. And there's this tension that you feel building because the institution is now being pressured from everyone. More congressmen than ever before are like, hey, Texas, wake up and pass some conservative policy. Our U.S. senators are pushing them to do so. The state Senate is pushing them to do so. The Republican Party of Texas is pushing them to do so. Donald Trump is pushing them to do so. More statewide elected officials are pushing them to do so. And the Texas House is just holding fast in their uniparty culture. And that pressure is building and building and building and building and building. So conservative law, if you're a conservative representative in the Texas House, you need to be fighting to change the culture. Because you're literally in the place that is the last holdout to getting on the train to move in our state where it needs to move. That's where we're at. Now, Greg Abbott has also asked that something regarding Colony Ridge be added to the call. Now, when I say asked, he gets to put whatever he wants on the call, but he was on an interview in Fox and Friends, and there he said, we're going to be looking at that when the legislature comes back in October. We don't really know what that's going to look like, but the reality is Colony Ridge is essentially a sanctuary mud. This is one of the terms I've kind of come up with. So you have sanctuary cities. Sanctuary cities is something we banned in Texas where a city basically says, hey, if you're illegal, come here because we don't really care. We don't prosecute that. That's a law we don't believe in. We don't believe ourselves as a sovereign nation and state. We're just a sanctuary city, basically one where any illegal can live and work and be completely free from knowing that there will ever be legal consequences to the laws they've broken. That's what a sanctuary city is. We passed a bill that said you can't do that. So then what happened is it looks like there's this development north of Houston in Liberty County where you have a sanctuary mud, and a mud is a municipal utility district. Ernest Bales and Robert Nichols passed this mud into law in 2017, and then it's been developed. And in that development, you have a tremendous amount of people there illegally. And there's accusations that they've actually marketed these people to tell them to be there illegally, that once you get there, if you are illegal, the word goes out and the illegal community come here, you're good to go. So there's could be any and all policies on the table. One of the things they should probably consider is just passing like an anti-sanctuary mud bill. You can't have a mud where there's, you know, no enforcement of immigration laws. Texans for Strong Borders has been doing a lot of reporting on Colony Ridge. So definitely go to their website and follow up with what they're doing. Um, I would follow along with all the stuff they're putting out. But Colony Ridge is something that I think has risen to common vernacular amongst most Republicans. And 
is an issue that clearly everyone agrees we need to address this next legislative session. I'm gonna, when we come back, I'm gonna talk to you about Glenn Hager and Ken Paxton having a current feud and what that is about. But let's go to the break. News and analysis on what's happening in Texas. End your day with daily headlines from Texas Scorecard. Every day at 5 p.m., join me, Brandon Waltons, as we recap the biggest stories of the day and talk about why they matter to you. Listen and subscribe to Daily Headlines from Texas Scorecard. I'm going to tell you why I'm frustrated with Comptroller Glenn Hager. And I've talked about Glenn Hager on the show before. But it was last year when a bunch of conservatives were basically saying, hey, we've got these drag shows happening across the state of Texas, and we need to take them to court. We need to find the snot out of them, and we need to take them to court. And that conflict ended up being between conservatives, the Texas Family Project, Sarah Gonzalez, a lot of families that wanted these drag shows in front of kids to stop, and the comptroller of the state of Texas because Comptroller Glenn Hager did not want to take aggressive, quick, and public action against any of these businesses. And in the course, what I kept getting told by people was, look, Glenn is really hesitant to go to court. He hates going to court. He hates step, you never know where it's gonna go. And all of us were saying, these kids are being sexualized in our midst, take them to court. And regardless of what the courts ruled, then take them to court again, and again, and again, just like the left does, time and time again. They're not scared of a court battle. So fast forward to the acquittal and Ken Paxton comes out and says, hey, there's a problem. I wasn't paid when I was impeached. They didn't pay me. Comptroller Glenn Hager's office decided, you know what, we're not gonna pay Ken Paxton, like 50 grand. And this is the crazy thing about the impeachment. Ken Paxton is impeached. He's then put under a gag order where he's basically told, you're not allowed to go out and talk about it. The house managers are allowed to take all their documents and stuff and leak them to the press. So every week y'all read a new article about some crazy thing the house managers had that showed that Ken Paxton was guilty of sin. So that's happening. While at the same time, they go, oh, by the way, we're not paying you. So we're not paying you. You're not in office. Your office cannot defend the accusations made against the attorney general's office. You can't defend yourself because you're under a gag order. And oh, by the way, I mean, we're even cutting your income. So Glenn Hager's office says, we're just not going to pay the attorney general. So Ken Paxton gets restored to office, goes back to the comptroller and says, Comptroller Hager, you have to back pay me. I'm the rightfully elected attorney general of Texas. The people put me there. I was, rem I was taken out of there just according to the Constitution, but it doesn't require you to not pay me, and that was your own discretion that you used to determine that, so I need you to pay me my back pay. And Glenn Hager sends him a note and says, see you in court. Now, the reason I think this is remarkable is that it's those of us who've been watching and being told for years, Glenn Hager's just really hesitant to go to court, all of a sudden comes out and says, let's go to court, buddy. I don't want to pay the duly elected attorney general of the state of Texas. So it seems like he gets to pick and choose when he really wants to go to court and when he doesn't really want to go to court. And this is happening at the same time while this whistleblower lawsuit is coming back up. The whistleblowers, um, the quote unquote whistleblowers had a press conference and it was just sad to watch because these guys, they said multiple things on it that were just 
truly revealed how ideological these people are and how, uh, you have to understand that like, when I say ideological, I mean that these quote unquote whistleblowers have a lens they look through. Ken Paxson is guilty and it doesn't matter what the facts are. Even though they self-admit we had a good faith reason to believe something had been committed, but we don't know if something was committed. And they all admitted that on the stand. But that being said, they look through the lens, he is guilty. And so they're saying things at the press conference that were already refuted through the Senate's trial. Like they say, well, we all went, we weren't sworn under oath, but we got to tell the House managers whatever, and nobody really contradicted that through the Senate trial. Uh, that's not true. In fact, David Maxwell told the investigators, hey, Ken Paxton sent this guy to some dark alley with a manila envelope and it left it there. And then Nate Paul went and picked it up and they asked David Maxwell on the stand, I'd like to ask you about this accusation you made. You said this to the House investigators, this happened. How do you know it happened? Well, I don't know what happened. You don't know what happened. Well, then why did you say it happened? Well, I was just telling them what I've been told happened. Who told you? I can't recall. You can't recall the person that told you? A lot of people told me. How many people told you? I don't know, five or six. Five or six people told you, Mr. Maxwell? Okay, if five or six people told you, can you tell us one of them? No, I can't recall any of them. Okay, so you told house managers four months ago that this happened. You didn't say, I think maybe it happened, but I have no idea. You said it happened because you weren't under oath. Now you are under oath. And you're saying you don't know if it happened. You're actually saying a bunch of people told you it happened, but you can't remember a single one of the people that told you that happened. That is what came out in the Senate trial. And then these whistleblowers get up and say, hey, I know everyone complains that we weren't put under oath, but I want to point out the fact that there was really nothing we accused Ken Paxton of doing that was refuted through the Senate trial just because we weren't put under oath. So what world are they living in? but they are gonna go back to court. That's gonna continue. Remember, the process is the punishment. The process is the punishment. It's why the FBI are doing what they're doing and the DOJ is doing what they're doing. It's why all these local DAs are trying to imprison Donald Trump. I don't know, he'll probably have 100 felonies they say he's committed over the next month or two. It's insane, but this is the world we're in. And this is something Republicans are waking up to, that they're sick and tired of this being par for the course. And what they're really frustrated about is the fact that in Texas, Republicans are the ones that did it. It doesn't surprise us that some district attorney in Georgia came up with the idea, some Marxist DA that George Soros put there with a couple million dollars came up with the idea, hey, let's just call Donald Trump a felon. Let's just do that. Let's call him like, a guy who's committed 30 felonies. And then we'll just put him in prison so he can't ever get elected president again. It makes sense that if you're a Marxist who's pretty much beholden to George Soros that you're gonna do that. What doesn't make sense is if you're a duly elected Republican state representative that ran on a platform that said, we need to save Texas and keep Texas red and advance our conservative principles and fight the left, and you went there and you voted to impeach Ken Paxton. That doesn't make sense to the normal Republican person. And these, and these leadership people are doing one of two things right now. They're doubling down. The Senate's corrupt. Dan Patrick's corrupt. They're all corrupt. Or they're just staying silent because they can't say anything. 
because none of them have an ounce of humility such that they could actually say, I was wrong. You're not hearing that from anybody. That's where we're at. So they're going to come into a special session. They're going to try to cobble together the votes for school choice. And they are going to put a lot more pressure than they were going to before the acquittal of Ken Paxton because the Texas House of Representatives knows that everybody back home is ticked. So House leadership is trying to cobble enough votes together right now to save the uniparty institution, okay? They are willing to push school choice through, sacrifice the basic deal they have had with teacher unions for ever since I've been involved. Teacher unions have had this coalition in the Texas House since I showed up in 2006, okay? And I think that they're trying to sacrifice that so that the corrupt institution of the Texas House can survive longer. That's what I think they're trying to do. And we'll see if they can get the votes together to do it. But the problem is that Dade Phelan's also super weak. So being in this really weak position doesn't put him in a position where he can bring people in and just make them vote that way. And the votes are hard to get. Governor Abbott is also putting a lot of pressure on the Texas House of Representatives to pass something. He's not going away when it comes to this issue. Typically, China Land is a good example where Greg Abbott called for a ban on China Land, said, I support legislation that would ban Chinese nationals from purchasing Texas land, appreciated when the Texas Senate passed it, silence when the Texas House kills it. 90% of Republicans support it, 60% of independents, 40% of Democrats, doesn't matter. Greg Abbott's not talking about it because the Texas House killed it. So in many of these cases, the governor doesn't necessarily hold the House's feet to the fire, but when it comes to school choice on this issue on this year, he has done a very good and steadfast job of saying, I want something. And he's putting the pressure on the Texas House to actually deliver. So those are a handful of the things going on all across the state of Texas. I hope all of these are kind of on your radar. You're aware of them. You're at least following along. It's a good time to be in Texas politics. There's a lot of moving parts, a lot of things happening. But thank you for staying engaged in what we're doing. Thank you for uh, getting a lot of, a lot of uh, emails back. If you're not getting my weekly emails, you can go to lukemacias.com and sign up there for them. Um, you can go to my Twitter and at the very top, there's a Google Doc there that you can just click a little Google form you can fill out too. And that's another way to sign up. So lukemacias.com or go to my Twitter and it's just the pinned tweet at the top of my profile. Uh, sign up. I do send out a weekly email that just gives you some various updates, not only the stuff on this show, but also maybe a couple other links to other videos in Texas politics to watch, other stories um, to actually keep on your radar. So keep those things going. Thank you for staying engaged with everything we're doing. There's a lot going on in Texas right now. Um, thank you for all those of you who texted me and emailed me that uh, at last week after I admitted to all of you that I was uh, completely sick as a dog. I didn't eat a lot last week. I think I had like four full meals, but um, my body's getting back on track and we've got a lot going on and there's a battle raging and I'm glad that I'm engaged in it. I'm really honored to be in it with each and every one of you each and every week. May God bless you and may God bless the great state of Texas. Thank you for listening to The Luke Macias Show. To find out more information about what's going on here in Texas, visit texasscorecard.com.